All right, today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. Genesis chapter 8, and I'll start by reading the text, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the book of Genesis. We thank you for all that has taught us over the, this, last, uh, this last year, and I ask that you continue to, to teach us today as we, look at, as we look at this passage. We thank you for your Son, and in his name we pray. Amen. If you want to better follow along, there's an outline of our sermon on your bulletin. As I mentioned before, I'm not a very big fan of how a lot of children's Bibles and children's books handle the, the story of Noah and the flood. Many kids' books act as if the flood was just a, a big natural disaster that accidentally happened and God gave a, a heads-up warning to Noah that it was coming. Most kids' books and Bibles leave out the whole reason for the worldwide flood, which of course was mankind's sinfulness, and they leave out who caused the flood. They don't mention it was God's act of divine judgment on mankind. But even the good children's books and Bibles that accurately tell about mankind's evil and and God using the flood to destroy mankind can't show everything in their pictures. They're limited in the number of pictures that they choose as well as they have to keep things G-rated. And that is why most of us who grew up in church can, can have a wrong idea about what Noah first saw when he walked out of that ark. You see, because of the bright and and happy pictures we remember from childhood, we can be tempted to think that when Noah first stepped out of the ark, the sun was shining, the birds were, were chirping, the people happily looked around on the earth that was no longer flooded, the animals merrily skipped off the ark and frolicked in the field, Noah's family enjoyed some, some fruit from a nearby tree, and the eight people who had survived in the boat confidently began their new life on earth, assured that God was on their side. But in reality... After a worldwide flood swept the entire globe, what would, have Noah, what would Noah have seen as he walked off the ark? Massive death and destruction. Billions of creatures had just been killed. Except for those on the ark, every single animal and bird across the earth had just died. 
Every single man, woman, and child had just drowned in the flood. Every house and barn was demolished. The forests and the vegetation would have been ravaged and wrecked. And this catastrophic loss of life and devastation would have been obvious to Noah and his family as they walked out of the ark. The broken trees, the the twisted bodies, and the shattered remains of the earth would have been on full display. And do you know what? Noah would have known that this massive death and destruction in front of him was a result of the fierce judgment of God. That this was God's just wrath against sin. Yes, Noah would have been happy to see the dry ground and get out of that ark. Yes, Noah would have been glad to be alive, but Noah would have seen the horrible death and destruction that would, and he would have been thinking about God's judgment against sin. And Noah would have known that that sin that God judged in the flood had not been eliminated with the flood. And traces of sin were present in every single member of his family. Noah was a man of faith who had shown his faith through obedience, who had been graciously saved by God, delivered from God's flood of judgment. But if Noah and his family were to continue to survive, they would need to continually receive God's grace. Their sin had not been punished, and God's just and holy anger against their sin would need to be continually satisfied if they were to continue to receive God's grace. Which leads us straight to our first point, Noah's sacrifice. Noah's sacrifice. Genesis chapter 8, Verse 20 says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The first thing that Noah did when he walked off that ark was not to throw a party, was not to build a house, was not to go out scavenging, was not to unload all the rest of the extra food. The first thing he did when he walked off of the ark and saw all the death, saw all the destruction that had occurred because of God's punishment against sin, the first thing Noah did was build an altar and make burned offerings to the Lord. The first thing he did was make a sacrifice. Now, the Old Testament does not give us details as to when God first talked to people about the need to make sacrifices. But the fact that God commanded Noah to take seven pairs of all clean animals in the ark in Genesis 7 shows that God had explained some things about sacrifices in the past. Clean animals were were not those kind of animals who, who just didn't roll around in the dirt as much. But were those animals that God said were ceremonially clean and able to be sacrificed to God? Though we don't get a description of what these animals were until Leviticus chapter 11, God had obviously told Noah about these things and had thus informed him about the need for sacrifices. Now, sometimes sacrifices were used as a way to to thank God for things. They were used as a way to worship God. But the number one reason... For sacrifices in the Old Testament was to pay 
for sins. It was to appease God's anger against sin. It was to atone for sins, meaning it symbolically covered and brought forgiveness to the ones making the sacrifice. And after Noah had witnessed God's fierce judgment against sin in the flood, it makes sense why Noah's first action after leaving the ark was to make a sacrifice that could deal with his family's sin. Noah witnessed the wrath of God, and he wanted that wrath to be appeased. He wanted his sins to be covered, to be forgiven, and so Noah made a sacrifice. The sacrifice would atone for his sins and would be an act of worship to God. It would show Noah's submission and his dependence on God. Noah had submitted to God's commands about the ark and he had depended on God's grace in saving him from the flood. And now Noah showed that he was still submitting himself to God, still depending on God's grace. Again, Genesis 8.20 says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Our sovereign God pre-planned things pretty well, didn't he? God had told Noah to bring one pair of every animal and bird on the ark, but of the clean animals and birds, he said to bring seven pairs. This meant that when Noah left the ark, he could kill some animals and make a sacrifice without causing some animal species to go extinct. He could kill a lamb or a goat or a bull, and since there were seven pairs of them, those species would still be able to reproduce and thrive. Well, this burnt offering was a big one as Noah took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah showed his devotion, his submission, his dependence on God and desire for atonement to be made by making a huge offering that included some of every clean animal. And that humble sacrifice had an effect. Which leads us to our next major point, God's promise. God's promise. Genesis 8, verses 21 through 22 says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God did not ignore Noah's humble sacrifice. Instead, God accepted it, he approved of it, and he responded favorably to it. The beginning of verse 20 says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma... Leviticus shows that when God smells the pleasing aroma of someone's sacrifice, God is accepting that sacrifice and allowing it to atone for people's sins. So God received Noah's sacrifice with favor, and we see that in the promise that God makes in response to the sacrifice. Because of Noah's sacrifice, 
God would grant more grace to the remnant that was left on the earth. Again, the beginning of verse 21 says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart. The Lord expressed this promise, not verbally, but inwardly in his heart, and he made a grace-filled promise with three parts. Number one, God will never curse the ground again. God will never curse the ground again. Near the beginning of verse 1, God says, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, this is not talking about the same uh, kind of curse of the ground that God spoke about in Genesis chapter 3. That curse of the ground caused thorns and thistles to, to pop up, and it made it hard for mankind to grow food and to thrive on the earth. That curse is still in effect. Now, the word we translate in English as curse in Genesis 3 is actually a completely <coughs> excuse me, different Hebrew word in Genesis 8. <coughs> excuse me. The word curse in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 8 is referring to something that is dishonored or held in contempt. In context, we see that the curse that God is talking about in Genesis 8 is referring to the curse of dishonoring the earth by using its own resources to destroy itself. It is referring to using the planet's own floodwaters as a destructive force across the globe. God promised in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21... I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. (coughs) God said in Genesis 6 that he would bring a destruction with a flood because of mankind's sinfulness. Now God promises never to curse the earth because of mankind's sinfulness. And mankind was still just as sinful as before. In Genesis 6, verse 5, it said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And now here in Genesis 8, 21, God reaffirms the sinfulness of mankind by saying that the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Mankind is not just a little bit naughty. Mankind is not just a tad bad. Mankind is evil. And it is not just the external, outer actions of mankind, but the intentions of man's heart is evil. The heart in the Bible refers to the the core of a person's being, who they are on the inside, their inner self. The heart is the control center of the thoughts, emotions, desires, and decisions that go on inside of a person. So when it it says that the the intention, the inclination, the, the imagination of mankind's heart is evil, it is saying that everything that goes on inside a person is wicked. The core of who they are is not good. It's evil. 
And they do not gradually become evil through, through bad influence of society, but it says the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Meaning people start out morally bad. At times, children can seem like delightful dolls, but all parents know that kids can often act more like vipers in diapers. From a person's childhood, from the earliest point in their life, they are evil. All of you here today began your life on earth not as a perfectly innocent child, but as morally deficient youth. As soon as you were old enough to choose sin, you did. God was not unaware of this problem with mankind when when he would promise that he would never curse the earth again, but because of God's grace, he would withhold his worldwide judgments. God had set up the sacrificial system and had been willing to accept Noah's sacrifice for sin. And because of that, he would not curse the whole earth again. And that guarantee is directly related to the next part of God's promise. Number two, God will never kill all living creatures again. God will never kill all living creatures again. The last part of Genesis 8.21 says, Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Now remember, God had every right to wipe out the majority of mankind in that flood. Mankind was inwardly, totally, and continually sinful and deserving of God's judgment. And now, after the flood, God still has every right to wipe mankind off the map as mankind still begins life with an inner, total, and continual inclination toward evil and is deserving God's judgment. And so when God says, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, he is making a promise that is soaked in grace from beginning to end. Mankind did not change. But God was willing to show grace. The only reason that that you or I exist right now is because God made that promise. You and and all of your ancestors all deserve death. But in response to Noah's sacrifice, God decided to show mankind some grace. Our God is a God of holiness, justice, anger, and judgment, but He is also a God of kindness, patience, mercy, and love. And the fullness of God's grace is also seen in the next part of God's promise. Number three, God will always cause normal seasons to occur. God will always cause normal seasons to occur. In Genesis 8, verse 22, God says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. The flood had interrupted the the normal cycle of nature. 
Mass flooding across the entire globe certainly messed up the temperatures and the seasons. And if this massive disruption of the ordinary rhythms of nature was going to continue, then mankind was in for a really rough future. Imagine trying to to plant and, and harvest crops if it could start randomly snowing in June. Or if it could hit 100 degrees in January. If the normal cycle of nature that God had designed was continually interrupted and massive changes were occurring on an ongoing basis, our lives would be severely messed up, especially all you farmers out there. But God promised while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. As long as this earth is in existence, the normal patterns of nature will continue. There will be seed time and harvest, meaning we will not lose our ability to farm across the globe because of massive major changes in the cycle God has set in motion. There will be cold and heat. Now, even though we live in the sort of spastic Midwest area, we're We're not going to have zero-degree weather at 9 a.m. and then at 10 a.m. have 100-degree weather. As well as we're not going to come to a point where we only experience cold um, all year round. There will be summer and winter as well, meaning there's not going to be massive snowstorms for us in August and January is still going to be a bad time to set up your pool. There will be day and night, meaning we're not going to continually have shifting periods of darkness and light. It's not going to be light at 1 a.m. for a week and then turn dark at noon for a month and then switch around again. At the end of time, God does say in his word that he's going to destroy the entire planet and make a, a new heavens and a new earth. But as long as this earth remains, the seasons The patterns of nature are going to continue just as normal. And that is a major blessing from God. That is an act of God's grace. Now as we come to the end of our passage today, I want to to end by looking at a few of the ways we can and should apply these truths to our lives. I want to look at four implications Number one, remember that mankind is still infected with sin. Remember that mankind is still infected with sin. We still live in a messed up world. Everyone across the globe continues to start life with a corrupt heart that is set on evil. We need to remember that so we don't view mankind with rose-colored glasses thinking that people are inherently good. We need to remember that so that we understand why there is so much pain, why there is so much suffering in this world. We need to remember that so that we we can warn people that they are sinners who are deserving of God's judgment. And we need to remember that so that we are continually amazed by God's grace towards us. Number two, rejoice in the normal cycle of nature. Rejoice in the normal cycle of nature. Of nature. One of the major issues that causes younger people anxiety in our age is the issue of global warming or climate change. 
Many people believe that because of certain things that humans have done or are doing, that the seasons on our planet will be completely destroyed in the future. Now, there can and there should be a a healthy debate on what is best for our planet and what things humans should avoid doing um, so that they can avoid causing harm to others. But it should encourage us to know that predictable, consistent patterns of nature are going to continue until the end of this world. There are a lot of things that can kill us, but mankind is not going to drop dead because of global warming. There may be some changes in weather and temperatures, but the foundational and general cycles of nature are going to continue. There will be an apocalyptic time. At the end of the ages, judgment day is coming, but climate change is not going to be the thing that destroys our planet. And that should bring us some comfort. And the fact that we know that mankind is going to continue to be able to plant and harvest crops should give us joy. The the whole world is not going to starve because we can't do farming anymore. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will continue as well. The consistent patterns of nature, the cycle of the seasons is a gift from God. It is part of God's grace to us. Number three, reflect on God's grace through sacrifice. Reflect on God's grace through sacrifice. When Noah exited the ark, the very first thing that he did was to make a burnt offering. He sacrificed some of every clean animal. This would have shown his thankfulness to God, his submission and dependence on God. But first and foremost, this sacrifice was a way for Noah to appease God's anger, for mankind's sin to be covered, for it to be forgiven. Noah's sacrifice was a way to atone for sin. And God's response showed that he accepted that sacrifice. He approved of it. The sacrificial system was graciously set up by God, and God gave grace through Noah's sacrifice. Although we have been born thousands of years after Noah walked the earth, we are still beneficiaries of that sacrifice. As God's promise to not curse the earth again, to not destroy all mankind, and to allow the normal seasons to incur are blessings that all of us here enjoy today. But Noah's sacrifice, it also teaches us that mankind is sinful and that sin can only be atoned for, can only be forgiven if there's a sacrifice made. And the Bible says that the ultimate sacrifice for sin was the death of the Son of God on the cross. Just like God showed mankind grace in Noah's time, God has shown people of all generations grace by the perfect sacrifice for our sins through Jesus Christ. As he lived that perfect life so that he could die to pay for our sins, dying to appease God's wrath and atone for our sins, dying so that we could be forgiven. Hebrews chapter 10 makes it clear that animal sacrifices could never ultimately deal with people's sins. 
We needed the perfect and eternal sacrifice of the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that everyone who humbly turns to him in faith would have their sins forgiven and be saved from judgment. Noah's sacrifice of animals points us towards the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That should cause us to think, to reflect on the wonderful grace of God. And it should cause us to turn to God. Which leads us to our last implication. Number four, repent in response to God's grace. Repent in response to God's grace. God poured out His grace by having Noah's family in that ark, by saving them, and he continued to show his gracious kindness by accepting Noah's sacrifice and and making a, a merciful promise. And the results of that promise are still being enjoyed by us today, but that kindness should not cause us to ignore God. As we saw last Wednesday night in our study of Romans, in Romans 2.4, it says that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Repentance is an inner change of heart where we turn from our sin and humbly put our trust in God. God has been and continues to show all of us great kindness and grace, and that should encourage us, that should push us, that should motivate us. To repent. God is willing to save. God is willing to forgive. God is willing to receive you. But you must turn to Him. You must repent. Lord God, we we thank You. We thank You, Lord God for the promises that you made to Noah and to all of us in Genesis 8. We thank you that we do not have to fear another worldwide flood. We do not have to fear the the mass extinction of mankind before Judgment Day. We don't have to fear the seasons going completely chaotic and us losing our ability to, to, to plant and grow food. Those are things we don't have to worry about because of your promise. We thank you as well, God, that you show us, you illustrate for us the necessity of sacrifice, the necessity of having sins atoned for as Noah sacrificed to you in Genesis 8. And I I ask that that would stir our hearts, that as we think about that, that we would remember the sacrifice of your son, that we would remember that our sins had to be atoned for, our sins had to be covered Your wrath against us had to be appeased. And I ask God that that would push us to rejoice. That we would rejoice that we stand not condemned, but as forgiven people. We stand as people who who have received your grace, who do not have to fear your anger, who do not have to fear your wrath, but instead can trust in confidence that our sin has been dealt with on the cross. I ask, Lord God, that your kindness towards us would cause us to turn to you. 
We thank us, thank you so much for your son. And in his name we pray. Amen.